Hello, welcome to the Geeky Brewery podcast. Yes, I'm back. They let me out of the cupboard finally. <laughs> Just stuffed me in. Two weeks of being stuffed in that cupboard. Two <laughs> weeks. How are we all? It's your host, Mr. Ryan Parrish, and joining me today is Keith. Hello, Keith. Hello, Thank you very much for the guest hosting duties last time around. Uh, you make Lee, it look so easy. Yes. <laughs> Lee, welcome back. Hi. And Shanice is joining us. Hello, Shanice. This is the first time on the podcast. Hey. Um, yeah, we'll come back to you shortly. Uh, before that, we'll go into our usual round of what we've been up to since the last recording. Uh, so let's kick us off with Keith. Keith, what have you been up to the last few weeks? This just becomes more difficult each week when you or you just say, what have you been up to? And it's like, uh, not an awful lot. Um, I have been catching up with some comics. I've been catching up with a lot of the um, X-Men books. Um, I was, I'd fallen a little bit behind with the various X-Men books. Uh, of which I'm reading the main X-Men title, New Mutants and Excalibur. Um, so I'm trying to catch up with that before the Hellfire Gala starts, which kind of I think pretty much almost on top of us now, uh, which is quite good. And Simon Spurrier, who, whose work I really love, he did the Hellblazer comic, uh, has just started writing a Way of X book featuring Kurt Wagner as the main character, Nightcrawler, um, which is pretty cool. And it's kind of about like faith, identity and individuality in the X-Men universe now that they can pretty much resurrect everybody at any point. So death has no meaning in the X-Men oh. universe at the moment. I've lost my way with the X-Men comics a bit. Is Nightcrawler still Mystique's child in the comics or have they gone with the movie timeline weirdness? Uh, they kind of they don't mention it. They don't mention it now. Yeah. I think I think he's still Mystique's child in the yeah. Just, just give up yeah. on continuity and relationships. Yeah, because uh, we don't. It's we don't <laughs> they just <laughs> press the reset button every five years anyway. Yeah, we don't talk about the Fox version of the X Men really. <laughs> I mean, apart from Hugh Jackman, um, the rest of it is. Um, I've uh, heard rumors like he's in talks to come back, and it's like, no, no, old man, go away. You've done enough. <laughs> You've had the, enough movies. <laughs> and then, and then there's then there's me, who the most I know about the X Men movies is that the first two were written by Solid Snake. <laughs> just true yeah that, that, that that's a credit you don't you don't uh, forget yeah no I, I don't i wouldn't mind if hugh jackman came back only to just be in a deadpool movie again properly you know proper old man wolverine versus deadpool kind of multiverse type thing where deadpool's already murdered everybody else in the marvel universe that'd be cool i'd, I'd do that i was gonna say uh, but if we're going with continuity at logan he's pretty much dead dead at the yeah, end of Logan. That, that's in the like, future. Well, depending on which version, which timeline are we going with this time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Back to the Future timeline. Um, that's that's the one we're in. <laughs> that's good. Uh, yeah, I've got, and um, outside of comics, I've finished watching Kid Cosmic. Right. Uh, Craig McCracken, who did uh, um, Foster's Home for Imaginary Children cartoon. Mm. Uh, it's on Netflix. Superb, brilliant, fantastic animation. Great soundtrack. Um, mm-hmm. Highly recommended if people are watching that. Um, and then I just kind of, I start just started watching loads of other trashy movies that weren't Sound of Metal um, to cleanse my palate. <laughs> really got into that. that movie. <laughs> and I just I, I keep seeing reviews for it, and I keep thinking, did I just see it? Was it a knockoff version that was on Amazon? <laughs> was that the kind of like you know was it the uh, Asylum version that was on Amazon that was just oh. like. Not I as think, good. I think Riz Ahmed's peak is always going to be Four Lions because that's a movie you can watch <laughs> whenever. 
It's oh, such a great movie. film. <laughs> but he's pretty cool in in Rogue One as well. That you know, he's he's great in that. And that, uh, yeah, that's the result. Oh, good Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I, I kind of I, re, I finally got around to rewatching Force Awakens as well recently, which mm. is strange. It's like it's okay. I've it's heard fine. they've done lots of work on the Disney Plus versions of the films, like they've recolor graded. I think the uh, um, yeah Rise of Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker, and they made a few other minor changes. Yeah, a small animation called like Bad Batch or something. And it's uh, integrating a small a young Jedi child to... Yeah. Oh, God, what was happening with it again? I couldn't quite deal with it because, like, as an adult now, I don't associate with kids. So when there is an animation with a kid lead, I'm just like, no, you're not my age. I can't just, like... <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. quite interesting because it is just Jay Filoni basically saying, I want to do Clone Wars Season 8, and they said, no more Clone Wars. And he goes, right. I shall call Clone Wars Season 8 the Bad Batch and just like put a tracing <laughs> paper cover on the top. <laughs> I think Billy D. Williams is earning more money out of the Bad Batch than he did out of the Clone Wars, though. That man that just like he, he's got such a such a great job on that. He's playing five characters at exactly the same time. I don't know how he gets away with it. I, I do love with the fact that at the end of it, because I watch all the credits, I'm not one of these like skip credits, skip intro type people. There's no point pressing the skip intro. It's two seconds. Yeah, but it's brilliant watching the end where they have all the foreign language versions of the yeah. dubbed versions, and it's just brilliant because they still list like each individual character with the with the same actor's voice on it. Yeah. So they get like five credits at the end of each each episode. It's brilliant. I'm Rather hoping than just going, he's getting like, five paychecks. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. Yeah, I thought he'd be playing Omega, but they've actually got a d- different voice actress for that, so I think that works quite well. Yeah. Which I love the fact they, they say it in different ways. It's Omega, Omega. It's like, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> nobody really knows how to say that word. So let's just let's canonize it. The fact that nobody knows how to say Omega. Yeah. But yeah, we'll have to come back to the Bad Batch, though, because I think it's been a it's been a good series. It's been a lot better than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, cool. I dipped in and out. I think uh, I just couldn't commit, unfortunately. It was like a bad relationship. We just weren't ready for each other. <laughs> They walked away. I was just like, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. Good has, anybody, has anybody been watching Solar Opposites on Disney Plus? No. It's the, it's the just yeah, it's Justin Roiland um, animation about aliens who crash land on planet Earth and do stuff, which is is cool. It's a little bit kind of substandard Rick and Morty, but there's a secondary plot where one of the one of the aliens continually shrinks people and stick them in a wall. It's become a kind of post-apocalyptic society. And every so often they have like a, a wall-focused episode. And the last one I watched it, I think it's the season finale for this particular second season, was just all based in the wall. And that that's brilliant. That's just fantastic. So I forget all the rest. I'm really invested in this kind of like shrunken down post-apocalyptic human society, which is just great. It's, it's, is it a Frasier thing where the spin-off's greater than the actual show itself? I think, yeah, the, the kind of B plot is better than the A plot. <laughs> Because you like the fact that they don't give you the whole like see, uh, series for it. Like, is it nice that it blips into the idea of what this whole story could be? Kind of like the, the Love, Death and Robot thing. You start seeing what could be an amazing series, but it's like, actually, you just get this one little bit. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. The, I didn't realise this last episode was going to be on the wall because all the credits and titles was like, it was just another standard episode. And then it just starts and you just go, oh, great. This is, this is not what I was expecting. 
That was really good. Great. Sounds good. So lots of lots of binge watching then over the last few weeks. Yeah, I, I kind of started that conversation saying I ain't done nothing, and then it just <laughs> seems like all I've done is lie around in a slothful state, reading comics and watching TV. It's been like the last twelve months for most people, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Just 12 years of sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> um, like close, close enough series to people that did a regular show. Well, I tried that. I know the second series has just dropped on Netflix. I tried the first series and it's kind of like I'm slightly too old for it now. If that series had come out five years before, I think I'd have been the perfect age for that. But now, kind of like I'm heading towards <clears throat> forty. It's kind of like that early thirties kind of thing is like a little too far away. Oh, keep this up until season two because I struggled with season one as well. But season two, thankfully, like it perfectly nods at too many adult elements. Like um, at some point, even within the first episode, the daughter's dealing Tabasco sauce like it's cocaine on the uh, on the school playground. It's like that is so simple elegancy in a plot. Yes. Yeah. I think the Die Hard episode was like a gem from the first season, but I need to revisit it at some point. Lee, what have you been up to the last few weeks? Um, oh, God. Um, again, like Keith, I always struggle with this every single week. <laughs> um, and it also doesn't really help that most of the video, ga- video games I've been playing have been for recording purposes, so that I can't really talk about what I've been playing because <laughs> it reveals what uh, <laughs> videos are coming out. Um but, uh, I mean, I have been, been sort of still playing through Code Vein, like I talked about before. Um, hmm. Anime Dark Souls with my vampire with the massive hat that constantly <laughs> obscures her face in cutscenes. I'm, I'm pretty, I think I'm at the final boss of that game now. Um, so, we'll see how that goes. Um, but, uh, yeah, otherwise it's mostly been, like, reconfiguring everything that I'm doing for my channel because the weekly schedule was not working out at all. Uh, as I was constantly rushing to get videos done and just they they can be better <laughs> and not have me constantly stressed. So, yeah. um, but St- still dipping your tone to Mass Effect occasionally when I'm not busy recording things. <laughs> so in, in, in having the love of a Bioware dialogue tree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, I should go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the video that I did put out on like me my first impressions of mass effect i did specifically go out my way to get the shepherd rex (laughs) exchange just to put it in the video because i know it's such a meme yeah you're such a great shepherd rex shepherd i should go (laughs) but um yeah, yeah it's it's been kind of just that kind of fortnight really not a lot really going lots of organization in the background yeah And you do have a Discord now, don't you, for your YouTube channel? I do have Discord now, yes. It's still yeah. quite quiet in there, but it's it's there. It exists. Yeah, I'll drop the link into the show chat description. Mm-hmm. So if you do want to go and join Lee's Discord and talk to him about video games, mm-hmm. it's it's there for your for your chatting pleasure. Yes. And onto you, Shanice. Then, uh, what have you been up to the last few weeks? Any particular geeky highlights? Oh, God, I've been a terrible soul and not touching into, like, uh, my favourite little elements of the nerdy world. I've rekindled my love for anime only just, like, the last couple of weeks. But it's hard because I'm, I'm a little purist in the sense of as long as it is sketchy and uh, sugary. There we go. 
change that word, lovely. Uh, <laughs> sketchy and sugary. I'm just instantly obsessed with it. It's really hard for me to watch new anime. Like even like something simple like My Hero Academia. Brilliant series, really simple. It's not as slow placed as like Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer is fantastic visually, like hugely visually satisfying. My problems with the uh, the pacing of it, it takes about, it's got that Dragon Ball Z problem. It takes nine episodes for four minutes to pass and you're just like, ah, oh, dude. The towards you for what it feels like five toilet breaks. <laughs> well, like five episodes of everyone just powering up. Oh. <laughs> well, well, the thing with the, the thing with uh, Dragon Ball Z that always got me was it's a twenty minute episode. They have seven minutes of which was the last episode, slightly condensed. Seven minutes of what's coming up in the next episode, <laughs> and then the remaining six minutes was them just powering up or just saying <laughs> how they're going to punch somebody. Or <laughs> next episode. Oh. Yeah. Forty demons later slightly has that problem there is progression but also you're recapping the last like seven minutes that you know you've just watched and you're like japan i know this i know what just happened six minutes ago so yeah. it was the next 10 minutes and we'll be really happy with each other so but, there's um, like there was a reddit for mythbusters called smiths and it's basically like they took the mythbusters and took away all the padding of the episode so you got like all the mythbusters things in like 10 minutes somebody needs to do that with the entirety of the Dragon Ball saga. <laughs> and you'd probably end up with like three hours of footage for the entirety of one season of Dragon Ball. It'd be a gold nugget if you that's a genius <laughs> idea. Absolutely. Yeah. No one wants the extended Dragon Ball Z, everyone wants the uh, Yeah, just the Dragon Ball Z but shortened version, yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> but yeah, I've just kind of been like scrolling through the anime, it's like kinda of like going back over old ones I used to watch. Like um Oh, what was I watching the other day? It was a right little diamond that I was right excited to get someone to watch. Uh, High School of the Dead. It's simple, it's simplistic. It's it's one of the really well-known zombie animes, but and it just has so much fan service to it. Like as a woman, I can only appreciate how the animators of that studio assume our bodies jiggle. Like, <laughs> like I didn't know you'd like that. Like that's fantastic. I'm waiting for that moment to happen. But, um, Sounds no. like they know the dead or alive creators quite well. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's just brilliant. I, as long as something's gorging its face out of something else, I'm happy. Like, this is manga called, like, uh, Fort of Apocalypse or something. I think it's called Fort of Apocalypse. And it's about how a young lad goes into juvie with other juvie fellas. And then a zombie apocalypse outbreak happens outside the walls of the prison and how they try to contain themselves from getting infected and how they're eventually going to have to just leave the prison. It's brilliant because it has an ending you don't expect because with most zombie-based things, they'll just go, oh, it's just a virus created by the government. This is not a virus created by the government. Expect something with that one. <laughs> it's not the usual Resident Evil cop-out. <laughs> oh, evil corporation. Spray, 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 spray. <laughs> No evil corporation in sight apart from the government just trying to police, even though they have no control over some of them they can't handle. It's fine. Sounds really cool. Might have to check that out. Yeah, that's it. Some really good uh, manga, go, like, because I think that one's from like seven, eight years ago. Ned, like, there was a really good spike of like really freak anime, uh, manga. There was a manga called Fuan no Tame, and mm. that's just short stories, really in the similar style of like Jinjo Ito, who's the mangaka, the sort of yeah. really well-known horror manga writer. 
for this manga is once again it's just short stories but really concerning nasty visual effects once again like 10 years ago i'll send this all to you guys your big read big read yeah and that leaves a big junji ito film Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this hole is made for me me. yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's a big part of why i got into world of horror last year just because it is like someone just ripping off the junji ito style and making an rpg out of it so Oh, that sounds perfect. Yeah. Like, you just need more disgusting visuals like that. That's what I always focus my work. I think about people like him when I make these nasty little images. That you just, I think about like a girl's face swelling into a face, swelling into a face, and you're like, why didn't I think of that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was not there. Yeah. 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 Been pretty uh, slow week for me, just anime and reflecting on how much I can watch more anime. <laughs> yeah. So how about you, Ryan? You've had a bit of extra time. Um, yeah. Uh, so mainly the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which is just Mass Effect with a bit of spit and polish thrown on the top of it. Uh, re- reliving my youth from back in those 2007 Halcyon days when it first <laughs> came out. But um, I can't believe how long it is since the first Mass Effect came out. And at the same time, I can't believe how much. They've improved, yet the interface is still so damn clunky in the game. <laughs> because they the not fixed those menus. <laughs> they fixed like the combat and they fixed the HUD, so it's much better. But as soon I as you go into that, it's the Mako as well. Well, yeah, but you can have it in classic, and yeah. everybody everybody has fun in the Mako. It's just giant bouncy castle of a vehicle. <laughs> but um, yeah, the inventory system is still awful. Just just awful. I really hate it. Uh, otherwise, uh, Viv and I have been watching the comedy series Man Down. So if if you're a fan of Taskmaster and you've never watched that, um, it's Greg Davis's basically his little comedy sitcom sh- series, and it's absolutely fantastic. The reason we stopped watching it, uh, started watching it, is because Mike from series 11 of Taskmaster is one of the main characters in it. So we thought we'd go back and watch it and just see how good it was, and it has. The best casting for season one, which is uh, Rick Mail as Greg Davis's dad. And unfortunately, he passed away during the series. So he gets replaced by Stephanie Cole from season two onwards. But it, the, you couldn't pair them up any better. I mean, Greg Davis always said he was like a stretch Rick Mail to start off with, with his stand up. But it, it's just like every episode starts off normally and then just a series of instance happen which puts into the surreal by the end of each episode and it's one of those hidden gem kind of comedies i don't think it found its audience the first time around so i really do recommend you go and watch that if you've not seen it uh, the other thing i've started to do and i'm massively behind on this is started on the berserk manga because i heard about the passing unfortunately of kentaro miura uh, at the age of 58 uh, 54 i think he passed away uh, he's put a studio in place because he knew he wasn't very well at all to carry on and finish the Berserk story off. But it's one of those enduring mangas that I've never got around to starting because it has so many chapters to get through. And it's like his artwork is super detailed. So it's it's very early days. I started to watch that. Started to watch Love, Death and Robots as well uh, for season two. I watched the first episode, which basically has what looks like the big head mini titans from Attack on Titan running around trying to defeat a vacuum cleaner. 
And that's all you need to know about the first episode. It's tip. It's back. It's back on form for Love, Death, and Robots. I didn't and even. I didn't even know there was a second season. So. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, I have to watch it. Yeah. Uh, it's one called Snow, I think, and just like it's just about. Oh, can't say anything. <laughs> with spoiler, how can you spoil it with content? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you have watched any of season one, it's definitely going to be worth dropping your feedback in season two. It didn't I, mean, first season. I think still my ultimate favourite one from the first season is when the yoghurt take, took over, which didn't yeah. get as much praise as the other one, but <laughs> it's just narrated so well, and it is like one of my favourite just little aside stories about having a sentient yoghurt in charge of the entire world. And it still makes sense to this day that you can imagine that happening. <laughs> I mean, it was done as well as like the. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy shows and the narratives that would come in between each bit as the guide is explained. Yeah. So, like, it's similar to that. It's just like, oh, we actually realise that you're complete rubbish and we need to get rid of all of you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely worth checking out. Uh, catching up on Castlevania on Netflix as well. It's been like a Netflix heavy binge because I'm still midway through season two, but I know season three's drops on Netflix, so we need to get through that. It's still weird having Richard Armitage's voice. <laughs> so I'm so used to him like in Lord of the Rings and like having him as Simon Belmont and then going to watch something like Space Sweepers when he turned up in the bad guy in that. Mm-hmm. It's, that was it's, distracting. <laughs> it's still very distracting when you have Simon Belmont like, in charge of a space station. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, definitely worth watching. Uh, so if that's my recommendations, Man Down and Love, Death and Robots. We're going to go into our comics of the week from Keith, but after that, we'll be back and we'll be probing Shanice's geeky credentials to um, give you a bit more information about why she's joining the crew. But we'll be back shortly. What's happening to you these days? Having lots of fun? Believe me, I know some folks that are in for some fun. <laughs> Take a minute, see what's in it. But you can see how dangerous this could be. But first, we're going to have a little fun tonight, folks. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. And now it's time to take a look at some of the comics out now and coming soon in the Geeky Brummy pool list. Out now and our previous comic of the week is Red Room number one from Fantagraphic Books, written and illustrated by Ed Pisker. In this issue from the creator of Hip Hop Family Tree and X-Men Grand Design comes this all new monthly comic book series with a specially priced self-contained double sized debut issue. Red Room is a cyberpunk outlaw splatterpunk masterpiece aided by the anonymous dark web and nearly untraceable cryptocurrency. There has emerged a subculture of criminals who live stream and patronize webcam murders for entertainment. But who are the murderers? Who are the victims? And how do we stop it? Also out now from Marvel is Way of X number two, written by Simon Spurrier with art by Bob Quinn. In this issue, let us pray. A villain revealed, the dark force hiding within Krakoa begins to show its true form. The answers are hidden within the mindscape, Kurtz and others. One of the most dangerous mutants is reborn. Also from Marvel, we have New Mutants number 18, written by Vita Aliat with art by Rob Rees. In this issue, Homecoming. Looking for love in all the wrong places, the New Mutants path seems simple. Train, guide and mentor the youth. Sure, they didn't ask for the job, but they've been figuring it out together, right? How wrong could it go? The New Mutants are about to find out. Also out now is X-Men number 20, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Francesca Mobley. 
in this issue, Lost Love, System Online Processing. And check out that magnificent Nimrod cover. Also out now over at DC Comics, we have Strange Adventures number 10, written by Tom King, with art by Mitch Gerrards and Evan Shanna. This is chapter 10, You Rule Supreme. Once upon a time on Ran, Adam Strange made a deal with his neighbours and foes to take a stand against the invading pits. Now on Earth, he's trying to do the same thing, to get all the heroes to rise as one and keep the marauders from doing to his home planet what they already did to his adopted one. But the original deal was a devil's bargain, and Alana Strange has received a mysterious letter that may tell her more than she wants to know. If she wants to keep her husband safe, it's time for her to go on the offensive. Also out now in our current comic of the week is Shadow Man number two from Valiant, written by Cullen Bunn with art by John Davis Hunt. In this issue, the bone-chilling team of Cullen Bunn and John Davis Hunt bring forth a terrifying tale in this can't-miss new chapter of Valiant's hip horror series. The hellscape known as Deadside has pried open a doorway to Earth in Enoch, Arizona, and our only chance at survival against the awoken desert beasts is Shadow Man. You can find out about other great comics released each week in our On The Radar feature on Wednesdays through our Twitter feed and on our website. And until then, enjoy reading. So, Shanice, welcome to the Geeky Remy Collective. How are you? Free dandy, right? Free dandy. <laughs> I'm very, very nervous, of course. Yeah, so as it's your first episode, we thought we'd ease you into the audience with a few questions of what what does geek mean to you and a few things like that. So um, I suppose that's the first question. What does geek mean to you as a kind of thing? Ooh, geek to me are those, those subjects that I enjoyed as a child that everyone else said I was weird for, but now suddenly love themselves. That's what geek means. <laughs> Uh, it's just en- it's enjoying the sort of like tiny detail within a story or something, I guess. Like, so for me, it goes more for Japanese culture with manga. Like, it's not seen as the most popular thing, but there's always an integral story. Like, there'll be a certain aspect or a character I can relate to as the external to society. And it's the same for every other person. Keith has obviously his comics, he's got his gaming. Ryan, you have all of the above. <laughs> General specialist is the way I would say it. It's like general geekiness just across the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just me, it's always been like manga and anime and just the odd thing that 4chan would throw at me as a young child trying to find my personality. <laughs> yeah, so what kind of your interests outside of geekdom or inside of geekdom? I mean, you mentioned anime quite a lot. Do you, do you have other kind of geeky interests that you... Uh, oh, I'd like to say, personally for me, um, it's the illustrative side of it. It's um, character design. So, uh, Keith and I have spoken about this before, but the whole element of like how character designs are made. Like oh, Only earlier on yesterday, we were watching how the TMNT series developed and how it went from completely amazing to... God, this is so horrific. How do I burn my eyes out to <laughs> try to salvage something with Megan Fox and failed? Um, and it's just like, yeah, it's just the design sides of it. So, like, my favourite people used to be mangakas back in the day, but as as I've kind of gotten older, I've noticed a lot of Western artists. So, I was saying before, like, Karl Kapinski, this man has such a high comprehension of the human form. He can 
way better than you're already drawn out now. It, <laughs> you know what his hands look like when he looks at your face. It's it's crazy, but uh, he's really good at sort of like meshing that western and eastern sort of like styles together. Him and that um, uh, Kim uh, Kim Jong Gi guy. But like these are people like I'll follow. I'll never try to attempt to be their skill levels, but they'll always kind of help encourage me to show that I can direct myself in my skill sets so i'm a natural doodler in the sense of since i was a child as soon as i wasn't listening in class i was picking up a pen and drawing some scanty little black illustration to scare my teacher off at the end and getting told that my mum has to come in because we have to have a talk because she did a creepy eye with an art had an apple coming out of it <laughs> but the thanker it looked or the more roughly it was drawn the more i appreciate it i i will always encourage people to doodle like, I will always encourage people to just design something for the sake of designing it with no intent of showing off to anyone else but enjoying it themselves. And I think that is a very healthy mentality. Because you just push out, you push out your own little thoughts and you're just like, oh, that dude's weird. I want him to be my best friend suddenly. <laughs> and then that's how, like, some of our favourite characters have come about, just from a random doodle. Like, uh, what was it? Like, uh, the Space Invader characters are just, like, random little square blocks that some, eight, uh, some guy in and like trying to doodle down you know um the doom games like the doom games for example you've got these doom games and like they look terrible the initial sheets of like design papers you've just got this little on a lined piece of paper some obvious standard pen they picked up doodled out this right little daft thing in a triangular form gave it a couple of arms put a mouth like down horizontally suddenly one of the biggest game series that ever developed like just just from little doodles so i always encourage doodling without a sense of like showing your skill sets for if you just want to doodle you might accidentally create this amazing world for somebody else in the future so like i'm just yeah. pro pro little design they don't have to make sense it's cool but, yeah i remember a story reading about uh, shigeru miyamoto when he was designing mario and it was too small to put a mouth on so that's why Mario has a moustache, because it was the only way he could, like, draw out beneath the nose to put something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see? It's just such a simple thing, like, but, like, that dude's iconic now. There is a, literally a whole amusement park dedicated to him. Yeah. Yoshi buggers. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just, Mar Mario just prints money for Nintendo now. It's, just like, <laughs> it's like Mario, Zelda, and... That, that's pretty much the Pokemon. main tune. Oh, Pokemon. Yeah, Pokemon. They only, <laughs> Pokemon they only own a third of Pokemon, Lee, officially. <laughs> only a third of Pokemon. <laughs> it's a big third, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Tally it up. Mm -hmm. I mean, is but, that something to Ryan, like, have a word with Nintendo to see if they can create their own currency and see if it could be more powerful than the Sterling? Like, yeah. Something I'm surprised they've not started doing NFTs, to be honest, because they've done it, they've jumped on any other bandwagon in the past. With like... Well, I mean, I mean, Nintendo are like ten years behind when it comes to anything internet related, so that's probably why <laughs> you'll hear about it in 2030. It's like, oh, Nintendo are doing NFTs, at which point the entire market has already crashed. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I know you've got a bit of a history in fine art, Shanice. I know that was your degree subject. So, do you think that kind of like drew you to manga more as a and then like you developed from that into your fine art or is it more of a vice versa kind of situation 
Um, well, fine art was actually a subject uh, that I tried to aim for because I was trying to become more metaphorical. It's essentially, I was trying to add a lot more depth to whatever drawings because I, I would draw things and people would say like, oh, you know, they look cool, they look a bit weird. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I would respond. But then as I got older, I was like, oh, I can't just walk, draw weird little things. I have to draw weird little things with a meaning because I'm an adult and you shoot. <laughs> so I did actually go from illustration to fine art. And with fine art, there isn't, uh, with contemporary fine art, there's not a focus on, um, how to explain, like 2D illustrating. I, I guess you can do it, but it's, it's that's just considered the starting point to creating like, really like profound sort of images so once again i think we were trying to say before like fine art now is painting a pair of glasses blue putting them in the corner and praying someone thinks it looks wicked like that's <laughs> fine art now like, there are guys have done some really cool things like there's the guy john oh, i can never remember his name the guy who did the three definitions of a chair with the physical object of a chair on a wall the definition of a chair written down onto it and a drawing of a chair and it said, and he explains which one is the most definitive explanation of what a chair. What is the truest form? Is it the chair itself, the explanation of the chair, or the drawing of the chair, which is a representation of what it can truly really be in any angle? So it's like that—that's cool. It's genius. They just like, ah, oh, the little art nerd in me is just like, oh, get me shaking. But it—I I think I'm just more of an illustrator. I think I just want to draw like a cool guy with his eyes being pulled out with his fingers popped onto him, kind of watching the same. Is that... yeah. so, you <laughs> so you mentioned before that you're really into anime and manga so yeah. uh, and you're inspired by the art of some kind of manga cuts uh, so um, I'm massively out of date with my anime I mean I stopped watching it about 10 years ago so it's, I was watching stuff like Trigon, Gungrave, Naruto, the Bleach, the, the typical boy animes and then a bit of stuff like Pat Labour and a few other bits like that. So I'm massively out of date. So what kind of animes would you recommend now? Oh, see, this, it depends what you're into. If you're into the gory nasty, then, yeah, you're looking at... A, it depends whether you're going to go from anime or manga, because people are just... There's so much more manga than there is anime, so I will try to integrally push manga more. Um, but for anime's sake, like, if you're into the sort of, like, slightly more gory element, yeah, you'd be looking at things like high school the dead and looking at um like angel egg i guess angel eggs part of an old collection of uh animes back in like the 80s where it was around these sort of like akira period where like everything's a bit more skanky and sort of messed up if you're looking for something a bit more cutesy or like sort of sincere with sort of like philosophical values you're looking at things like b star b stars like a cgi element anime now which is kind of like half frowned upon by mm -hmm people because it's like yeah i know there's a big controversy when attack on titans swapped from having drawn titans to 3d titans yeah. even that like it makes like it divides anime fans completely um but some of it truly like really works there's a sci-fi anime that i saw like a year ago in a yashu in a the last hero which is a fantastic, I'm not pro CGI, I I'm, I'm, won't deny, my, my nose is pretty high up, I'm a snoop. <laughs> but this shocked me something rotten, I was there like, oh my god, look, it's not hand-drawn, how, oh no, this is going to be pretty <laughs> And then as the story completely engrossed me, I was like, they could have only done this in CGI, they could have only done this in <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. 
Inuyashiki is a fantastic CGI anime. It's a, it's the only way to, uh, if you don't like CGI, you need to watch this anime so you like anime CGI, essentially. It will make you like it. It's just, it's an old dude who is completely down on his luck. His family just don't respect him. That sort of standard role, old working class Japanese man. Um gets involved in a scenario which allows him an ability to be someone helpful and just to really try and fight in these really cool like mecha style ways with his physical body being restructured and you're just like that's awesome i want to be that old man i love that old man i want to be the old mecha man so yeah it's just really good it's really good yeah because i mean some of the more modern stuff i've watched is like one punch and Ghost in the Shell Arise, which is kind of Ghost in the Shell standalone complex again, because they never could seem to settle with that thing of, we'll just remake it again. It seems to be production IG strategy for any time they're a bit short on cash, so I would just release something Ghost in the Shell related. But um, I mean, do you think it's having a big effect on Western animation? I mean, we've had stuff like Avatar The Last End, Airbender, Legend of Korra, which is kind of seen as a Western anime. Do you think that's going to bleed more across? Oh, it's, it's bleeding across now. Like, um, I've, if I remember correctly, you guys did speak about Mitchells versus Monsters last week, I believe. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, it that it doesn't sound like they. You, from looking at it, you won't be like, oh, there's an anime influence there. But even mm-hmm. like integrally, like the types of people that would have worked on anime series would have worked on that Mitchells versus the Monsters film. And there's little things where like, even mannerisms, mannerisms in Western culture films are being affected. Like that sort of like cutesy appreciation of plushies, like what's going to be in my bedroom has already been affected by what's already been in anime. And like, yeah, it's made a huge difference. I can't for the life of me put my finger on it about any current Western animated series that really like shouts out apart from Castlevania like you're saying because that's a perfect mixture of western and Asian it's got the western mythology but also the Asian sort of visual aesthetics mixed in with some western comic style yeah it reminds me of like this the 80s and 90s period where Japanese and French animation kind of merged over quite a lot and you got series like um, Ulysses 31 out of it, which was kind of like, and mysteriously as a gold, which is kind of like that half French, half Japanese kind of blend to it. But mm-hmm. yeah. The thing I find interesting about Castlevania though, from that perspective is the fact that Castlevania itself as a game series is like Japanese developers looking at Western stuff, you know, looking at Dracula and, and everything around that and then putting their spin on it. And now with the, with the cartoon, it's gone the other way, where they've looked at this Japanese game series, but also taken a lot of inspiration from anime. And But it's all made in the West, so it's like, you know, they, it's kind of gone full circle almost. Yeah, it's just like a per- perfect mix of both worlds. Because yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, isn't there that uh, Batman Ninja that came out a wee while ago? There was Batman Ninja, it was a CGI where the Joker's more of like a jester style element. But once again, it's got a really extreme, like, um, expressive style that anime has. Oh, mm-hmm. God. Yeah, it was, a, I think it was an all Japanese team that made it and basically, yeah. and then just used the characters in. I think it was like, to, it was like Shogun era setting. Yeah, uh, feudal, feudal Japan. Yeah. There's been a couple of previous attempts with, with tie ins to films, I think. Um, the Animatrix was one of the first ones that was taking yeah. kind of Western storytelling, but using um, kind of Japanese studios. Mm-hmm. And then 
out of the Christopher Nolan Batmans, the best thing to come out of that was the Gotham Knights sets of anime that they did in a similar fashion to the um, the Animatrix, where it was kind of Western story storytellers, Western writers, but married to that kind of anime aesthetic, which worked really well. And I think that's that's how kind of yeah. Batman Ninja. But again, things like Teen Titans and stuff has elements of those kind of more kid friendly anime series. Um, you know the, the first series of that even using even using the kind of like japanese style um title music which is great um which is kind of cool but i was wondering when when in terms of manga because i'm kind of a bit more au fait with manga than the anime that i've seen a few animes but not many and when i was a kid kind of basically it was akira through epic and lone wolf and cub and now i you know you saw a few things like bleach creeping into comic stores but now it's kind of like you know, of the high proportion of the comics that are sold at somewhere like um, Worlds Apart is is manga titles. You know, it's a big part of their comics buying um, audience now, rather than kind of Western comics, anime, uh, manga titles seem to be a big thing. And it's like, is there anything specifically that's happened in the last 20 years that you think has made, you know, manga that much more accessible and, and, and attracted that audience? It's obviously a younger, newer audience that are coming to the manga titles than kind of the old guys buying Batman comics. Hmm. I guess, no, like, I can't obviously speak for what has happened. I've not particularly looked into it, but, like, I guess because it's easier to, because, uh, once again, you've got to license something for it to come over to England anyways. So you've got to make that accessibility for it to be licensed because there wasn't, yeah, that exposure with anime. Like, thank God for things like Akira and, like, Naruto, um, all of this did expose us at a young age. Now, all those people are watching that work for these companies, and I'm assuming they're just trying really hard to bring over mm-hmm. sort of that sort of elements of manga. Like, I don't, oh god, it's a really hard one to answer because I don't know. But... I can't help but feel like po- Pokemon's partly responsible as well because of how big the anime was, mm-hmm. as well as the game. And you know, everyone kind of grew up with that, and then. It's just as a result of the success of that, it's brought other things with it. So, yeah, um, I, I think it's endemic in how kind of European and Japanese comics work that there is comics for ev- everybody. It's not just superheroes. It's very rare that you get superhero manga. It's teen drama or witches or horror or you know kitchen sink type stuff. Uh, and and I think that's 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 one of the things that's latched onto a. a particularly in a modern audience is it's like it's not it's not just guys in spandex it's there's there's something you know there's there's the kind of games related stuff there's the kind of um uh, you know it's just a wealth of different styles and 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 comics for all kinds of people as well i think that's one of the things that kind of um it helps has helped manga become such a big force in the in the west really particularly in the uk um that, that it is, that, you know, there's comics for all kinds, everybody. Yeah. It's all um, perspective. Like, I think you've got things like Oyasumi Pun Pun, which is, the main protagonist is shaped like a crudely drawn bird, and that's just his head, or like his main body. He's a crudely drawn bird, but every other character around him is these overly deep, and that's just a standard st- uh, slice of life manga mm-hmm. here, that sort of, like, psychological trauma sort of thrown in just to make sure we were quite... <laughs> yeah. And then you've got things like, um, I've got some mangas at the moment. Uh, one of the most recent ones I started was um, A Man Who's a Cat. And it's just all from the perspective of this really ugly, fat cat who thought we're going to be truly loved. This beautiful gentleman comes in and, and just starts to love him. It's just about how appreciative he is of his owner. 
that's it. That's the manga. It's from a fat, ugly cat, cute cat's perspective. Who just wants to be loved. Aren't we yeah. all just a cute little fat cat on the inside that wants to be loved by a gentleman? <laughs> yeah. So your your entry in, as you mentioned earlier, was Ghibli, and do you, do you like still have a soft spot for Ghibli nowadays? Is it, oh. is it kind of? It's it's the Japanese Disney at the end of the day, isn't it? And it's, it's yeah. Anyone who loves anime loves Ghibli. I've never seen a comment on Reddit or 4chan or Anime Planet that disregarded or even judged Ghibli prior to Goro Miyazaki, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> he tries his best. <laughs> he does. What is with this new film that has come out? This, this uh, oh, it's something to do with Wit. I think, and it's it, it it's the wrong kind of CGI. Well, that, that is it. When you when you were talking about CGI, I will say I will say that when I saw the trailer for that movie, I did have this just instant revulsion to it. <laughs> like this isn't a Ghibli movie. <laughs> How dare you touch yeah. Ghibli? Yes. <laughs> How dare you sully Ghibli's good name with CGI? <laughs> well, it's it. Hayao Miyazaki. It, it's like having a wrestler. He always comes out of retirement for one more film. <laughs> it's like that's it, I'm done. Okay. No, guys, this is totally no, my last film now. It's like yeah. Miyazaki, this is this is the tenth time this has been your last film. <laughs> yeah. I love I love the fact that your name, which is a film which I loved and went to watch it at the Mockingbird Cinema with my uh, niece and my wife a long while ago. And I love it that caused Hayao Miyazaki to come out of retirement because it earned more money than Spirited Away. And he was like, Well that can't stand. <laughs> Yeah, um, do, you, do you kind of like that kind of cinematic anime as well you can't deny that he's one of the best it, it's him um, Anano oh my god my brain's turned off mm-hmm. um, the guy who did the girl who leapt through time and uh, yeah. summer wars and stuff like they're just completely yeah. different people aren't they like yeah you've got Hayao Miyazaki and his all production team of these fantasy heavy beautifully constructed worlds we can only pray to god truly exist in an alternative dimension mm-hmm. and then you've got things that are just like more sort of like melancholy sort of perspectives on life that you can relate to now and that is the guy who did things like summer wars girl who leapt through time and yeah. then the guy, uh, the production company of tokyo godfathers and paprika millennium actress millennium actress those are uh, so blue yeah characters. yeah yeah, they say just... perfect blue, which was just remade as Black Swan in the in the US. <laughs> and it's like you're never going to deny that that film is not just a remake of Perfect Blue. <laughs> Once again, Ghibli did just essentially do redo Little Mermaid and the Borrowers, but they did such a smashing job. We just won't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, what was it? They also did. Um, what was it? Like Disney did. They ripped off like an anime for Lion King. It was like called like the White Lion, but, like. <laughs> Disney still feels like everyone's just seeing the same idea. It's just the same yeah. idea, but it's just doesn't matter. Yeah, it was. The, I think originally that was Hamlet, anyway. So I think it's it's been a story told many times and recycled. Yeah, it's, ha- it's Hamlet through an anime filter and then some lion slapped on top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, Desert Island Dissol. If if you had one anime and one manga you could take away to a desert island, which which would they be? Oh, that's cool. So you've got to think about length of the manga. Like, how long is it going to entertain you? How many times can you be on? <laughs> cool. Bad, Ryan. Bad. <laughs> oh, I'd have to say, in all honesty, just because of how many times I've watched it and, like, how many times I can enjoy the soundtrack. It's not the best anime. 
but my god it hits both sides of my male and female mentality so vision of escafloni is probably the romance mecca gundam is lovely whatever gundam could be whatever you want <laughs> it will never be as good as vision of escafloni just because vision of escafloni made sure it stayed to a size it proportionally understandable Vision of Escafoni mixes between um, mecha, robots, romance, and the sort of fantasy of like um, tarot card reading, the sort of the paranormal world elements. A girl is transported from Earth to Gaia, and like it's just about how she integrates with these people that uh, get dragon hearts and put them into robots, uh, dragon robots, and just robots in general to control them. And you're like, what's wrong with this? <laughs> fantastic and it's just it's, it's part of that 70s 80s era where the noses kind of went halfway across the room but yet nobody hit anyone else's head like <laughs> beautiful anime style it, all of it works the soundtrack's kind of beautiful you have to watch it so dubbed is just going to destroy grid um unfortunately most animes in the 80s did that but it's fantastic best anime top tier 10 out of 10 we'll watch again on an island um Manga wise, I'd have to go for a new one just because I'm I'm so obsessed with the mangaka. It's uh, the mangaka is called like Ari Iri, and she did something called uh, Ran in the Grey Sky, and it's it's just a simple plot line, but she's just got such a high level comprehension on these beautiful scene sets of, of voluptuous women and sort of like beautiful background images that work, and it it, it tends to be fantasy based with her, but each story is just so integrally wholesome that you can't help but just fall in love with it. Ari Iri, huge mangaka, would massively suggest her. And the manga, I've just finished it off. They've just finished translating. I read this manga five years ago. They just licensed it. Of course, I bought all of them. The <laughs> <laughs> world, top tier. We'll become. And here was me thinking One Piece because you, <laughs> you could probably build a boat out of manga around so One Piece. <laughs> You, Sorry, you can... I'm around there. <laughs> no, that's really good, really good recommendation. Thank you very much. Look forward to hearing from more from you soon. <laughs> Following on from last week, where these fine gentlemen and Matt selected their reading choices for you, we thought we'd do some musical choices. It's been a while since we picked some music. Uh, we thought we'd each treat to two of our albums, which we revisit quite a lot and we think should be shared with a wider audience. So I'm going to go with Lee first for his album choices and what mm-hmm. he thinks he's going to bring to the table. Okay. So I feel like this choice, because like I rarely listen to actual albums anymore. Like it's like, I'm more like, let's throw everything on a playlist and just have chaos. Um, but like it was difficult. So I basically just kind of picked some stuff at random that I think kind of deserve a little bit more attention, I think. And so one that sort of I've always liked for years is um, The Dark Third by Pure Reason Revolution, which is um, a really, really good sort of prog-ish rock album. I'd say prog-ish because it doesn't really, like, experiment with weird time signatures and stuff, but it is, like, the whole album is kind of sci-fi-ish, but also I think it's all about dreams, because it's, I think that's kind of what the title is getting at. It's the dark third, because you spend a third of your life asleep. And it's like referring to that that dark third of the day when you're asleep. And so it's all about dreams. And it's got titles like The Bright Ambassadors of Morning and Bullets Domine. And 
the Tynekin and he tried to show them magic and it's all just like this big bombastic ridiculous rock music and is is this like your D session background music is this what <laughs> no, you're going no. for here <laughs> no it is not um i don't even think this would work as like D. it's too like in your face with it um because it is so like especially like the bright ambassadors of morning because that track is like 12 minutes long um and it just goes all over the place with these weird sci-fi noises. Bits of it really do remind me of the War of the Worlds, Jeff Wayne thing from the 70s, which is one of those, another one of those albums from like my childhood that I was kind of raised on that I have very fond memories of. And there are definitely, you can kind of feel elements of that coming in a little bit, especially with like some of the, the backing vocals are very similar to the way that like you'd hear the vocals in the Eve of the War, for instance. Um, and yeah, it just, it's very, very sci-fi, very weird, but just always a compelling lesson every time I put it on. Cool. It's looking like the heavy metal film. So you've just kind of got this cool psychedelic sort of background with the visual aesthetics of heavy metal, mm-hmm. that illustrative thing. With that. Yeah, I think, but like, sadly, there isn't like a visual element to go with this album, unfortunately, but it would definitely, I think it would work quite well with one, but they just have never gone for it. I think because they are quite a, a small band. I think that they did break up for a while, but they did, I think, came back last year after just many years of just not doing anything. They were just like, no, we, we I think it was like the two lead people just decided we're going to just come back as just the two a duo now and that's we're going to continue the project but i haven't actually listened to the new album in full yet but that one was the debut and it was uh definitely interesting there cool and do you have a second choice or just go with the one um my second choice i decided to go for well i said to sort of in terms of like thinking about like music that i think people should listen to more more of like I've, there's a bunch of Japanese artists that I really like, and the one album I thought would be that I really, really like is The One by Shinichi Osawa. And he's like a kind of techno producer in Japan. And this album is just like song after song after song of just really great, like house music. Um, there's a cover of Star Guitar by the Chemical Brothers on there, but it's like a lot heavier on the guitars. Um, and it's a lot faster, but it's also got like Au Revoir Simone doing the vocals on it as well, like which is really weird that he keeps bringing in all these Western vocalists from out of nowhere. Um, but like there's just a lot of really kind of heavy synths and um, it's kind of almost like a rock album, but it's all a house album. And it's really it's really just interesting to listen to. And it's one of those where I think that, I don't think there's a single track on here that I dislike. And it's just one. It's kind of sometimes with a lot of electronic acts, you will get like albums where half the album's really, really good. The rest of it's like we're messing around with a synthesizer and we haven't really got a plan here. But this is like this is brilliantly constructed all the way through. So I'd recommend that. And it is available on a lot of streaming platforms and things. Although my copy came from Japan when I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. That sounds really two interesting and diverse listens there. Mm-hmm. Really good stuff. Uh, Shanice, do you want to have your two album selection? I know you wrote down about 20, but that would be really cool and limit you to two. Oh, well, the one who just made a beautiful sounds, man. How do you just pick two? 
no, for that was really cool though. Like, like that's such a tiny little thing. Like it's so rare that you can listen to a whole album and not just like a single song. So when you said that, I was like, that is, mm-hmm. that is so so cool. Yeah. Um, for me, like I struggled because obviously we we're talking about bands that we've like grown up listening to. But for me, I think I didn't listen to albums as a child. I think I've started more so listening to whole albums now. So the closest to that would have been like Jamiroquai back in the day because of like family influences but for me personally finding an album being like this is hot sauce in a disc uh there's a band called the front bottoms they're like post-rock emo bands from i oh, i'd like to say canada but i'm obviously going to be wrong with that one so i didn't say canada but the front bottoms kind of it yeah it's, it's emo post-rock punk music it's that sort of like distorted vocal sound which i i really appreciate in modern musicians at the moment um the album's called like the talent of the hawks and it has a song in it called um twin size mattress with the beginning line of this is for the lions living in the bro- uh no this is for the lions living in the watery broke down frames of my friends bodies and it's like Oh, yeah, sorry, I made some noises there, but that's something. <laughs> oh, fantastic. It's lyrically clever, and that's why I was appreciative. Something has like fluidity in the sound, but almost that like sounds continuously poetic without going, Baby, I miss you. You're just, I'm so sad I'm missing you. I'm just like, I heard that. This is clever. It's really, like, the whole album is written out clever. Like, there's a song called Au Revoir, in which a, it's a discussion about how a man finds his ex-partner stupid, essentially. She was like, uh, he's like, au revoir, but you don't even know what that means. And she's like, I know that it's French. I know what it means. And like, it's a conversation in a song about how they just don't like each other. And you're like, well done, Bottoms. I like you. But yeah, Front Bottoms, Talent of the Hawks. It just, it's cool, man. It's got a good vibe to it. It's got a really good vibe. Wicked metaphorical lyrics, really like it visually expressive mainly acoustic guitar mixed in with like a whole back band or like a, a just an electric guitar on its own and a guy with a sort of like almost off tempo off um chalky voice that kind of breaks away uh yeah that's my album number one uh number two would have to be oh there is this new band at the moment called michael sierra palin which is all <laughs> sarah palin Let's merge them together to make one awesome post-rock emo band. <laughs> Again, if I'm correctly. And they have a album called I Don't Know How to Explain It. And once again, it's it's around the same vibe as from Bottoms, but they just do it with a much more like detrimentally daunting sound, kind of like a modern baseball. Modern baseball are really like quite daunting for yourself, like how you're forever going to be alone, but let's just make it seem lighthearted because we're an indie film. It's, it's <laughs> but uh, Michael Sierra Palin, they covered um, If It Makes You Happy by what's the name again? If It Makes You Happy. Come on, someone. Uh, that lab. Can you know who it is? Cheryl Crow. Oh, God, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's ironic how we all forgot that. <laughs> That's not a lot of smart set. <laughs> That's close enough. <laughs> uh, they covered that song and they do such a brilliant job of it. I I listened to it and I was like, I know I've heard this song and I could not it only until it popped up on my YouTube as a suggestion. I was like, Oh my god. They've done such a good they've stolen it in my sense, and that sort of same way with nine inch nails, 
um, her. Yeah, and John it's, it's, it's the superior version, basically, yeah. Yeah, I did think so. Michael Sierra Palin, what a huge band. What a huge little band. Cool. Brilliant. I look forward to listening to those. Uh, Keith, what have you come up with? So I, I haven't I haven't gone with the traditional the, things that I might have gone with. Having well, the wombats. <laughs> no, that, I'm not. Shush, wait. Wait your time. Because um, obviously having lived through the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, I could have picked anything from there. That, and there are albums in amongst there that are quintessentially part and parcel of what made me the person that I am. But what I decided to do is pick records that have come out in the last 10 years. Um, by newer bands because new music is vitally important to me to be able to like still find new songs and new artists that stir up those kind of feelings that I had when I was 12, 21, whatever it is. So my first pick is, and I wish I'd have done what Lee did and had the actual albums because then I could have looked really cool because I could have had like, oh yeah, I've got vinyl of these albums. Um, but I, I Insert image here. Yeah. yeah, I could have, I, I would have had to run down three flights of stairs and get them and it would have looked quite obvious. It would have been like, uh, he went downstairs to get that. I would have been the David Brent of this uh, <laughs> part. But um, my first choice is uh, a band called Of Monsters and Men who are an Icelandic group uh, who emerged about 10 years ago with a very kind of folksy traditionalist sound very kind of um um anth anthemic but also with a kind of very traditional sound uh and what they do beautifully is they mix a male and female vocal so sometimes it will be shared sometimes it will be focused on one or the other um but they released an album a few years back called fever dream which took that kind of um folksy bonhomme and added a new wave aggressiveness to it and introducing uh, you know, more electronic instruments and a much more um, kind of punchy sound that, that kind of grabbed you in and it wasn't as kind of ethereal and sedate as it had been in the past, although those songs still had drive and ambition. But it just went on a, a, a way of kind of just going, you know, we can still be modern and contemporary and we're not a traditionalist sounding, you know, we're not stuck in this kind of folksy sound that everybody's kind of pigeonholed us into and they had developed it over the kind of the course of the four albums that they've put out um but fever dream was just a, an evolution of their sound which was like this is this is brilliant this is the same band and the same sound but they've just taken it up to another level and the, the way they intertwine the the vocals and the sounds of a male and female voice it's just beautiful and and um constantly surprises me in how they can you know orchestrate a song and and just you know use using melodies and all the rest of it musically it's just amazing um and they're just somebody that i've kind of thought you don't hear a lot of people don't seem to kind of um say or talk an awful lot about them as a band um but i've managed to see them live uh, and that that's phenomenal you know that's that was a show um the lead singer nana would, would, would was on stage in a kind of like um catsuit covered in um kind of like reflective i don't know sequins it was brilliant and they had the light in and everything she'd you know climb on top of a drum set and, and smash a drum of her own and, and stuff it was phenomenal it's just it's all i want from music something that just punches its hands into your chest and grabs you and drags you kicking and screaming in, into um a state of um, ecstasy as you listen 
I think uh, there's like one there's one track of that album that I do know and like the opening riff of it is exactly what you're describing that sort of punchiness yeah. and I can't remember what the song is actually called but as soon as you showed that album cover I heard that riff in my head the, the big hit off it was a song called Alligator which was kind of the big song that everybody'd heard but there's, there's quite a few on there there's there's um a, you know a, a few songs there's some that are kind of more Icelandic and stuff that are just fantastic um but yeah I just I love them as a band and you know, I could have picked any of their albums, um, but that particular one, the mo- most recent one, is is great. I do, I do love it. Um, but I'm gonna my second pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna just because Ryan's already said like I'm gonna pick it. <laughs> I am gonna pick it. I've already mentioned it before. It's one of the great, one of my favorite albums. Although I do love the fact that their latest album was titled "Beautiful People Will Ruin Your Life," um, <laughs> which is entirely true. Avoid beautiful people as much as possible, folks. Uh, they're not good for your health. Uh, I'm gonna pick. Their second album, which was called The Modern Glitch, uh, which I heard uh, a bunch of songs from and was was just completely blown away. I'd heard a few of their previous songs from their other uh, their, their initial album. Um, but this this had got things songs called Our Perfect Disease. There was a song called Tokyo in brackets vampire and wolves jump into the fog. Anti-D is like about, about somebody being somebody's antidepressant and like both you know i loved it because it was all about like broken and damaged people and how we're, we're all floating around this world in a way and we're all interconnected and um you know there was a, a song called 1996 as well I mean, obviously they're a few years younger than me um but just again it was this it's a three-piece guitars and drums and again it's another band that just the lyrics and the music just reach into me and just go yeah come on and uh, and the and lyrically they're brilliant and the, the way that you know this each song is a story uh and a lot of it uh, you can kind of recognize in a similar way to something like scott pilgrim still talk to me even though i was 20 years older than those characters were at the time it's still to talk to me about the inherentness of being young and the inherentness of of all of these things that we do to kind of make our way through life um and and their songs kind of wrap that up into that and they use you know they, they, they're just such lyricists as well it's you know they use some great language um to do stuff it's not kind of traditional but and both both those bands are, are just you know lyrically and musically you know extremely interesting uh, and i'd recommend both of them to to everybody and the, the wombats have got a new song out this week which is brilliant because it starts off somewhere you don't expect it to go and, and ends magnificently and you should all go and listen to it it's called method to the madness by the way oh, yes that is showing up as their latest release on Spotify. yeah it's great <laughs> no, too let it start and then let, when you get to the end you'll be like oh yeah <laughs> that sounds a very interesting pick so keith i suppose it's my turn now isn't it it's your right. turn so if if you're a regular listener to the show and you've listened to previous ones where we recommended albums, you'll know my obsession with French electronica is kind of like well known. Where it's like any kind of French electronica music, I'm there, and I will listen like Yuxek, Justice, um, Air, Daft Punk, of course, anything like that. So what I'm going to pick actually is a slight twist on that, and you might have seen this previously. I don't know if you can see that properly. It's Ed Banger 15. So Ed Banger is a very well-known label for French Electronica in, in France. It's where Justice is signed to. Mr. Wazo signed there. Quite a few big names have been signed to Ed Banger. So for their 15th anniversary, they did a special orchestral version and remix of some of their greatest songs. 
and it is some of the finest music you can sit down for an hour and listen to. Uh, it's it's uh, Orchestra Limoru, I think, is if I get the pronunciation right. So they took some of the songs and reworked them completely orchestrally. So you've got stuff like um, Tricycle Express, uh, Fantasy by Your Side, Jack in the Box. And then the, the second half of the album is just pretty just justice remade in an orchestral style, which is fantastic for me. So like Stress, Alakazam, D-A-N-C-E-E, D-A-N-C-E, uh, Waters of Nazareth, We Are Your Friends. So all like the big justice hits, but with an orchestra. And it is mind-blowing the first time you listen to it. If I'm trying ever... to imagine an orchestral version of Waters of Nazareth. So it is fantastic. I'm going to have to listen to that. <laughs> yeah, because they, they do Genesis, Phantom, and Phantom Part 2. So Genesis is still, to me, the best opening track of any album ever because it's just that orchestral wall that comes and slaps you in the face. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. But it also, to my head, if I was doing a D&D campaign, you could pretty much use this entire album as backing for it. So like invading the bo- invading the big bad guy's castle, the big climactic fight scene. It's it's there. You can just use this album for the entirety of your campaign and it'll work perfectly. It is it is the pinnacle of French electronica by an orchestra. And that's the only way I can describe it. If you haven't listened, go go away now. We'll wait here. We have to sit here and wait. So Ed Banger 15 is one of my all-time recommendations. I'm adding it to my list now. Yeah. Uh, second album choice is an album from the year before I was born. Mm-hmm. And it's from a Japanese jazz fusion group. So my Spotify Discover Weekly has been taking me to parts unknown over the last few months and year. Well, the last year working from home. I've been having Spotify in the background and like getting going into like little little a TV tropes version of music, basically. <laughs> Just like going down the rabbit hole and seeing where it takes me. But uh, I found this band called Casio P, as in like Casio, as in like the guitar, and then P-E-A, as in the ritual, so Casio P. And they released an album, seventh album, I believe, back in 1982, which is called Mint Jams, which they took a live recording session, then remixed it in the studio, and it is known as their finest album. Um, I shall find the picture as we speak. Uh, it's a very interesting album. Uh, and if you are an anime fan, it's pretty much this is the slice of life anime backing track album collection. You can imagine this being dropped in any kind of slice of life anime. So if you've ever, I mean, Ocean Waves, I Can Hear the Sea, which is one of my favourite Ghibli movies, which is one of their lesser known titles. I could imagine this being part of the soundtrack. There's some really standout tracks in there. Midnight Rendezvous is probably my favourite on there. Uh, it's it's very French, new wavy jazz kind of thing. And it's like the ultimate background album. It, it's one that you could see yourself in a cafe in Tokyo or on the beach somewhere in Okinawa. And just like having this on in the background whilst drinking a cocktail and watching Japanese life go by, it's it, it's it's a great little, just put it on and just chill for like the forty minute runtime it runs for. It, it's it's a beautiful pearlescent gem of an album. Is the only way I can describe it. And like, it even reminds me of stuff like Outrun. You know, like splash wave and that kind of music that you have in the background. So if you've ever liked like the Outrun soundtrack, go and have a listen to this. It's got that similar kind of vibe. So that's kind of my two choices. 
both pretty much reinterpretations of stuff I would normally listen to anyway. But I um, hope you enjoy those. Uh, so what we'll do is put those as a list and tag them in on the article that goes up on the website and then you can download and listen to it from there and there'll be links to multiple places, usually Spotify, where you can go and pick those up from. If we do, if we do our mixed cloud version of the show, we can always pop some tracks from these albums. Yes, there. yes, definitely. But definitely some great albums there. And just to recap, Lee? Uh, Pure Reason Revolution, The Dark Third, and Shinichi Osawa, The One. Shinichi? It was the Frog Bottoms, Talon of the Hawks, and Michael Sierra Palin. I don't know how to explain it. And Keith? What now seems like the very old man choices of, <laughs> of Monsters and Men, Fever Dream, and uh, the Wombats, um, um, the modern glitch. And for me, it was Ed Banger 15, various artists, and Cassio P and Mid Jams. So hopefully you'll have a listen to those, see how you get on. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the portion of the show where I talk about my last few games of the week. Aerial Knights Never Yield is a stylish as hell runner game about a guy named Wally seeking out the mysteries of his past in a Japan-inspired world. It's fast-paced, looks gorgeous and has a slick hip-hop soundtrack that just adds to the general cool of it all. Weaving Tides is a gorgeous puzzle game set in a woven land. You play as a character named Tass who rides carpet dragons through this world, using them to weave and stitch parts of the world together to solve puzzles, defeat foes and untangle the mysteries of this strange place. It looks beautiful and unique, and for that it deserves some attention. And finally, Operation Tango is a game all about espionage with a really cool twist. Instead of just playing an operative sneaking around with AI-supported mission control, in this game, your friend is the mission control. One player plays a spy infiltrating secret places while the other player acts as their hacker, getting into systems and providing top-down information from floor plans and other data. It looks super stylish and should be a lot of fun. It is also free for PlayStation 5 players this month as well, although sadly the PS4 version is not part of this. To summarise, Aerial Knight's Never Yield is available on pretty much every platform going. Weaving Tides is available on PC and Switch. And Operation Tango is available on PC, PlayStation and Xbox. And now, back to the main show. Lee, it's been a while since we've delved into the world of video games, so we thought we'd have a gaming update. And as you are our gaming correspondent, who's always hot on the pulse, do you want to give us an update on what's going on? Yeah, so we are kind of in like the pre-E3 period where like all the, the little bits of news and rumours start emerging. And a lot of people this week, have, uh, a lot of publishers and stuff have done like little uh, announcements this week. And... They, of course, all had to be on Thursday because, you know, that's the day when I write my roundup. <laughs> so everything comes in last minute. But anyway, um, there's been like a few little bits of pieces. Like Dying Light 2 has got a release date, which I think is like its third release date after not having one. Um, it's in December, though, so I have my doubts of whether or not they're actually going to meet that release date. Because uh, usually if it's that far out, then uh, I don't... it's never really a good thing. So I don't remember the the first one being that much of a hit. I don't. I'm not sure. To, I mean, to be honest, like zombie games have kind of just fallen off with me in general because it's like there's so many of them. They all just kind of look the same eventually. All I know is this is the one with the parkour in it. Um, <laughs> and that's literally all I all I know to distinguish it. 
Um, but yeah, this is the second one. But I know that this has been going through like a lot of development issues because I know, like I said, it had a release date and then it then its release date went to TBA, and that's never a good sign when it has a definitive date that suddenly becomes oh we don't know anymore. Um, I think like a big chunk of the dev team got changed at some point as well. It's just it's it's a bit messy at the moment, but it has a release date now. It's out in December, so we'll see what happens there. Um, there was a Dragon Quest presentation, and what I love about this one is that you can tell the series isn't popular in the West because it was at 5 a.m. UK time. UK time, so they made absolutely no effort to make sure that people don't in America insult, or the UK don't insult the five Dragon Quest fans that listen to this show holding their slime plushies with, with art. Like, I'm not like it's not disparaging of the series. It is just a fact that like 80 percent of its sales are in Japan alone. So you know. Um, but they, they are apparently trying to appeal to the West with Dragon Quest XII. And in order to do that, they're doing the typical thing that Japanese uh, developers think they need to do to appeal to the West. Let's go dark and edgy with it. Which just doesn't work for Dragon Quest, from what I know of it. But, you know. Hmm. Um, but they are. But more interestingly, I mean, I'm not someone who's super into Dragon Quest, but I do like what they're doing with the Dragon Quest Three remake they announced. Because they're getting the team behind Octopath Traveler to do it. So it's going to be in that style. So it's very much 2D sprites with like pseudo 3D backgrounds, which that game looked amazing. So I think let's see more retro JRPGs remade in that style because I think I want to see Final Fantasy VI in that style, quite frankly. Um, but other than that, like there wasn't really a lot coming out of that. Um, there was also Sega did a Sonic Direct thing, uh, which was mostly them talking about merchandise and how you can make all your doctors in Two Point Hospital look like Sonic Tails and Knuckles. Have they made the Sega Pachinko machine by any chance? I mean, it's. it's I mean, they've inevitably got Pachinko machines because they're an arcade <laughs> company as well. Um, but um, there were like three game announcements, so they're remastering Sonic Colors. Uh, so that's going to be released for everything instead of just the Wii. Um, and they're doing a compilation of like the all the original Sonic games in one package. And my favorite part of that announcement was the announcer guy said something along the lines of, you get to play them like never before. And I'm just like, Sega, you release a Mega Drive collection every other week. <laughs> Don't say, you can't say that. I was going to say, can't get all the Sonic games for iOS and Android anyway get- now? Name a console and you can get Ouya. all the original. You can probably get it on Ouya. Um, uh, but they also did announce the next Sonic game, sort of. It was like a five-second trailer of Sonic running through a forest. And instead of a name, they just showed a weird Wingdings character and then said 2022. And I'm no sure that's really sure, sure what's I'm going on. I'm sure that's not next Sonic movie coming out. No, no, this is definitely the game. You definitely can tell the difference in the design. <laughs> um, no, because the movie, we know that uh, they... Um, we know a bit more about the movie because we've got the uh, the picture of ta- Tails and Knuckles in, in on set, or rather the, the figures they're using in, as placeholders. <laughs> Why aren't we getting a Sonic movie game? You know, it's been a long time since I've had a movie tie-in game. Well, and I kind of think Sonic could be the one. Okay, you, know, you walk around with a with a, a, a non-player character, James well, Masters. 
You go, so, go and visit Olive Garden and just yeah. have a giant Olive Garden <laughs> you, 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 you go, You go and how many breadsticks can you break? <laughs> so you say this, but like the Colors remaster apparently is getting like movie related content added Ooh. to it. I don't know the specifics of it because it literally was just tacked onto the end of the trailer. It's just like pre order now and get this movie content. And it's like, all right, bye, yeah. let's move on. You, you can play as Jim Carrey. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they replaced the rings with unlimited breadsticks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my, I think my favorite part of that whole announcement was Sega have announced the official Olympics title um, that they're doing for the Tokyo Olympics this year. They not already this, released a Tokyo Mario not and Sonic. Mar- not the Mario and Sonic ones. This is just the official Olympics game, not with Mario and Sonic. Although Sonic is in there as a mascot that your athlete can wear. Yeah, I like saw that. that. That was kind of horrific in the same way as the first design for the, the movie Sonic. Like, this, imagine like a theme park costume of Sonic, and that's what your athlete is wearing. And I'm just, all I could think during the entire trailer was... If this was a real athlete at the Olympics, that would be hell inside that suit. <laughs> All I can think of is the meme of Sonic, with like the really badly drawn Sonic, where the legs just spin round with got to go fast written above it. <laughs> I still love that that was in the movie. They actually included that in the movie. <laughs> Why is this then? Are we talking like 19 foot 30 sort of Easter egg sort of Mr. Bunny sort of costumes like really dauntingly horrifying made in Russia sort of no 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 this is like if you could see this being used as an official like mascot costume if there was a Sonic theme park like it's like it looks genuinely like well made even though it is CGI in this case but like it's just bizarre because it's an Olympic game and it's the athlete wearing the (laughs) thing while doing the 100 meters or the shot put in this full Sonic (laughs) bodysuit Um, I was going to say this is like Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games has been out longer than the Olympics has yeah. been running in Tokyo. Uh, my, fav- my favorite thing about that was the person who made the joke online about how um, with with the COVID pandemic, it's going to turn out that like Mario and Sonic at the 2020 Olympic Games is going to be the official Olympic Games, and then when <laughs> and then when the Olympics actually did get cancelled, they were like, "I was right, I told you." <laughs> um. But yeah, apart from that, we then also had um, 15 minutes of gameplay for Horizon Forbidden West, um, which is the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn, and it looks great. It looks so good. Um, they've added so many like little improvements and things. Like There's actual melee combat now, rather than just you can hit things with a stick once, and then you have to run away and fire some more arrows. Like There's actual melee combat now. And they've added a whole bunch of uh, traversal options and you can tell that they've been watching they've been looking at breath of the wild a little bit because the glider that they've added is very breath of the wild um and also there's like new uh raptor dinosaurs that look like they hunt intelligently in packs so you can have like a jurassic park moment going on in gameplay where one just sneaks up behind you <laughs> and i hope that that's what that's showing because if that is what they're doing with those raptors that's going to be really really interesting so, I mean, I look forward to playing that on PC in about 2028. Then, if it's Sony. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sony gave their current release schedule. Yeah, yeah. I, I've not played the original because of it being on PlayStation, but I do. I do kind of feel like the original version of Melee Combat is more realistic. You hit mm. something with a stick and then run away. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. <laughs> that feels more genuine. I can't. Well, I can't imagine like you'd be able to use these moves against like the actual robot dinosaurs. It's more against other people. <laughs> when you encounter them, like the rival tribes and stuff, but 
And do they have the bonk sound effect? Please tell me it's like a it's just like a stock bonk noise. Sadly, no. <laughs> Although with the first game now on PC, I'm sure someone could mod it in very easily. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, and do you want to talk about the Switch Pro rumor for the that six millionth time? About to go next. <laughs> yep. Um, so. Um, yeah, there's a rumor once again uh, there is going to be a new model of the Nintendo Switch, the one that's supposedly going to be more powerful, can hopefully run things a little bit better than the current model can because it is a little bit dated compared to other things on the market. Um, 2016 but, uh, it came out. 2017. 2017. Yeah. Um, but uh, very early 2017 as well. So, um, but it's. This room has been floating around for ages, and so I don't know how much stock I want to put in this. But um, this time around, it has kind of come from um, Bloomberg and Jason Schreier, of, is, who is the games editor at Bloomberg, is usually pretty good at knowing this sort of stuff. So there's a chance that this could be legitimate, but um, we'll find out in the next couple of weeks because apparently it's going to be announced before E3. So is it, uh, isn't it a 4K screen? It's a 4K screen with a, a larger 4K screen. That's essentially, isn't it, with Panasonic? I think it's supposed to be 1080p on the console and it's at the 720p. But when you plug it into the TV, it goes up to 4K rather than the 1080p. I think yeah, I think something like resolution that. that you limited to at the minute. Yeah, I think it's basically just a beefier version of the Switch, I think. And um, I hope they don't call it the new Nintendo Switch. <laughs> it, it feels no, it's going to be it's the three D Nintendo Switch. <laughs> <laughs> it feels very un Nintendo for it just to be like, oh yeah, we're going to because because everybody else is obsessed with graphics, we're going to make our stuff four K because basically it doesn't need to. Mm. I don't think I've ever played a game on the Switch where I'm thinking, God, this would look better with twice as many pixels. Um, so I, I wouldn't. I don't. I think it, it'd just be pandering to the fans rather than. Nintendo doing it because it's going to make the the system better. Um, I think my only concern with this is that I hope they don't do um, the new 3DS situation where some of the games will be exclusive to the new model. I'd rather that they went like the PlayStation Pro or the the, the Xbox One X situation where it's like right. you have the better model, but you can run like a lower resolution version of it on the base. Yeah, model. Or, or they could just introduce a new dock that upscales to 4K. And the main unit just stays the same, and you just buy a new dock. I think it all depends on how the tech works, which don't yeah. ask me how it works. I don't think there's because it's based on the Nvidia Shield, which I had back in a long, long time ago. So it's kind of like the Shield controller that they had back in then, and everything's in the console. There's not much. I think it's just a USB-C to HDMI hub mm-hmm. inside it, so there's nothing actually in the dock mm-hmm. to do yeah. that conversion. Well, if it's not if it's not going to make Animal Crossing any better, I don't need it. <laughs> it's Animal Crossing in 4K, Keith. <laughs> It'd be Animal Crossing, but they've CGI'd like real people's faces onto oh, the. God, that'd be horrifying, Keith. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, Butters in 4K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like super deformed human beings are wandering around Animal Crossing with real <laughs> animals instead of fake ones. Like, oh, there's, a, there's a real chicken living in my village. Like, oh, and a wolf, and the wolf's eating the chicken. That's what they're going to do. They're going to make it real life. Animal Crossing. So if, you have the wrong kind of vi- if you have the wrong kind of villagers in your village, like, you know, the, the hippo would have killed everybody, the wolf would have eaten the chicken. <laughs> and that is the crossover that we need, Resident Evil times Animal Crossing. Yeah. 
<laughs> surely just the one human character will just eat all the other animals. Surely that's the end of the game. Just how there's a village. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like the idea of resident crossing. That is like it's quite cool. Basically, uh, you, you end up slaughtering everybody because there's there's no way off the island that you can you know even when you swim it's it's railed there's a there's a big net that stops you getting any further yeah and it would be like living on the island of dr moreau wouldn't it with like these half human half animal hybrids (laughs) wandering around the island stalking you at night with nets and fish (laughs) there's a otter i think that pops up and his name is pascal and he always wants your um i think he wants your scallops i can't remember correctly now but if you if you're diving in the water crops up and he's like hey hey i'll give you a fun fact and a cool thing give me a scallop and you're like okay rob me is the scallop but imagine like i was just thinking then like imagine if he then got into the zombie form so like you can either catch him in daytime where he's human or nighttime where he's zombies sometimes it probably like when you start with rains and then <laughs> i can imagine him being like the merchant from resident evil 4 though it's just like wearing a huge overcoat full of um, full of items welcome no, to <laughs> just like trading items for scallops please take this ginormous mermaid drawer out of my pocket because it's weighing me down to my right in the, air, in the middle of the ocean i can't understand how they do that it's like you get a scallop and he gives you a bed it's like, how, what am I doing with this? And it's like, how does that get to my house? I don't understand it. Crossing logic, otherwise my house would look as good as it does now. So, it's... does that mean like Tom Nuke would be like the ultimate boss for Resident Evil's ex Animal Crossing? <laughs> <laughs> Who would he be? The big ogre or the big person in the in the lake? I think he'd be like the little Napoleon from Resident Evil 4 like it's his 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 island his kind of masterwork and you like you're having to go around like defeat all his traps he's, he's going to be the Mr. X where he's constantly stalking you from time to time and then like you, you beat him at the end out in like a super deformed form. I mean we all know Tommy and Timmy would be like a, a double midway through the boss mm-hmm. like the, that, that'd be like the double partnership they, they, they sprout off him yeah. Yeah. Like both on top of his shoulders with a big sword like one's just carrying the sword and the other one's just walking along <laughs> and then Isabel would be the boss before the big boss where you think it's all over with you've defeated Isabel and then Tom Nook just appears from behind <laughs> and devours her in, in the first place <laughs> KK Slider would be the nemesis oh god yeah. so you've got dedicated monks then just the random villagers like I've got stitches there my beautiful my beautiful duck Weber with his little bowl cut hair and he's like no <laughs> I mean, Ch- Cherry already is pretty much a zombie with that star pattern thing on her face. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a detour from where Lee was started. <laughs> so that's we, what's we going need to on get this married. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Could you imagine if that was the release title for the Switch Pro? Yeah. <laughs> that's a I mean, crossing. I mean, I do appreciate what one commenter on uh, Eurogamer said that it should be called, which is we've already got the Switch Lite. Let's call this the switch power. So you've got this power switch and the light switch. <laughs> <laughs> That's clever. Because I was thinking, wouldn't you just call it the heavy switch? Switch heavy. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, one more thing in in Matt's absence. Uh, Oryx new esports center. Uh, I'll quickly mention a bit because I know your your love of esports. <laughs> isn't, isn't as strong as Matt's in, in yeah. this absence. But um, they're just going to invest uh, £275,000 to establish a new flexible esports centre located at the heart of the University of Warwick campus. And if you check the gaming update, which will be linked in the show's description, uh, more information on there. But uh, really good to see local investment in esports. Mm-hmm. 
No, thanks very much for that, Lee, and apologies for the Resident Crossing detail. <laughs> but now I just want fan art of Resident Crossing. Yeah, me too, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's set up a subreddit. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us on the Geeky Brummy podcast this week. Keith, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at hardluck underscore hotel and on Instagram without the underscore. Uh, but the Twitter is basically just me on a Wednesday retweeting me on Geeky Brummy <laughs> telling you all about the greatest and latest comics that are out. Awesome. Lee, where can we find your presence in the social media sphere? You can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, where I make various different videos about video games. And uh, you can find updates on that channel on Bob the Pet Ferret on Twitter. And you can find me just tweeting more generally as the Cheap Ferret. Awesome. Uh, Shanice, where can we find you online? You can only find me on the creative realm of Instagram with the handle idlecreep101. Good luck, Cool. And you can find me at Ryan Parrish. You can find Brumigal Mond for the foodie stuff. No MasterChef one at the minute. And I'm not doing Bake Off to Professionals. It's too much hard work. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can find us all, as you mentioned, at Geeky Brummy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, geekybrummy.com, Geeky Brummy on YouTube. Um, thanks for joining us for this episode. Don't forget to do, uh, I hate doing this, like, <laughs> subscribe, share, comment, things below, engagement. You, you know, every YouTuber in the world tells you this stuff now, and every podcast in the world tells you this stuff. Just tell your friends about it so we can like get some engagement and stuff. And thank you very much for listening or watching or however you consume our media. Uh, but uh, as you mentioned, Twitter is kind of where we live as a headspace. Uh, but uh, there's a Geeky Brewery website for Keys Comic Roundup, Lee's Gaming Roundup, Matt's Esports Updates, and more to come soon. But... Um, Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.